DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents the Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life, including Spiritual Consolation, the book on which this series is based. The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. We now continue with Part 2 of Conference Talk 6, with Father Timothy Gallagher. All right, let's look at the text of Rule 7, and let's read it. The seventh rule. The seventh. In those who proceed from good to better, the good angel touches such a soul sweetly, lightly, and gently as a drop of water enters a sponge. All right, a first question. Well, who are these people who are proceeding from good to better? And let's just note we have Ignatius' classic um, metaphor here of the drop of water entering the sponge. And in those who proceed from good to better, the bad touches it, the soul, sharply and with noise and disquiet, as when a drop of water falls on a stone. That's the other part of the metaphor. And in those who proceed from bad to worse, so who are these people who proceed from bad to worse? The above said spirits touch in a contrary way. The cause of which is that the disposition of the soul is contrary or similar to the said angels. For when it is contrary, they enter with clamor and sensible disturbances perceptibly. And when it is similar, they enter with silence as in their own house through an open door. So you have a second metaphor of the door of a house either uh, open or closed to the person. All right, let's go back over it. The first question is this. Who is the person that Ignatius has in mind in Rule 7, this person who is either going from good to better or from bad to worse? Who is that person? And obviously, it's important to answer this question clearly if we are to apply the rule in the sense that Ignatius intends. And we we have the answer to this question, who is the person of Rule 7, and what does it mean to go from good to better or from bad to worse? In the context of Rule 7, the answer to that comes from the context of the rule. It is the seventh in a set of eight rules dealing with the spiritual experience and discernment of the generous persons who are in the second spiritual situation. So obviously, bad to worse, for example, here cannot mean, as it does in the first rule of the first set, uh, the person going from mortal sin to mortal sin, a person very far from God. Whatever good to better and bad to worse mean. They mean it in the context of people who really love the Lord and whose single desire is to love and serve the Lord. And Ignatius is addressing such persons when they have received consolation with preceding cause and accompanying good and holy thoughts, Patricia and the refugees, uh, Charles and the young, Kathy, Kathy and the inner city school. And they are discerning whether or not This consolation and the thought of some new initiative is, in fact, of God. That is the context. That's the person to whom Ignatius is speaking in Rule 7. 
who is precisely the same person Ignatius has been addressing throughout the entirety of this second set of rules. So that gives us a first read on what good to better and bad to worse might mean. At least it excludes many possible uh, interpretations of that, which would take us outside of the second set of rules and the second spiritual situation. In this context, then, the person is going from good to better when the person in the second spiritual situation is pursuing the option in the discernment that is truly God's will. So if we take Kathy's scenario, as we've uh, played it out, she is going from good to better when she is pursuing loving and serving the Lord in the context of the suburban high school where her life is having such an impact for good for so many people. And the same person is going from bad to worse when the person is pursuing the option in the discernment that is not God's will. So in the scenario that we have laid out, when Kathy pursues uh, with all goodwill and without any culpability, um, no shame, all the things we've said, pursues the thought of the inner city school or Patricia the refugees, they are in this sense, in terms of discernment, going from bad to worse. Objectively, they are moving away from what God truly wants, although without culpability, simply because they don't yet see it clearly. So when Kathy, um, I think this is clear, when Kathy pursues uh, the task that God has given her in the inner city school, she is going from good to better. And as she pursues over these months the thoughts of the inner city school in Ignatius' sense in Rule 7, she is going from bad to worse, again, without any culpability. <clears throat> so going from bad to worse, that is pursuing the option in the discernment that is not God's will. So I'm saying it's without any culpability. They just don't yet see it. Ignatius presumes this will be the case. As I've said, this is the whole point of rules five and six in the set of rules. Now let's take a moment to look at Ignatius' classic metaphor. And then having looked at the metaphor, we'll apply it as he does to the spiritual experience of a person in the second spiritual situation. And so the metaphor is, um, it's a metaphor that once heard is not easily forgotten. It's the drop of water falling on a sponge or the drop of water falling on a stone. Uh, if I wanted to be really perf um, using my vocabulary perfectly, this is a simile, but I'm going to use metaphor in the um, more broad sense in which we use that. So the drop of water falling on a sponge and the drop of water falling on a stone. So I played this out. Uh, just to get a hold of this. And I found it very instructive, so I'll share it with you. So here is uh, obviously a sponge and just a very thin stream of water, of drops of water is falling on the sponge. You can see the water enters very easily, very gently. There's no splashing or splattering. Uh, there is, if you were able to hear it, and if you were very, very attentive, just a very slight sound as the water touches the sponge. But um, it's very difficult to hear, and certainly through the computer and over virtual space, you won't be able to hear it. So that's the water, the drop of water falling on the sponge. And now the drop of water falling on a stone. And you can see here, uh, it's not, as I've said many times, you know, thunderous or clamorous or loud and noisy. But this time it doesn't end, uh, um, 
there's more um, activity going on here. You can see the water does splash and splatter. And again, you won't be able to hear it over virtual distance. But there is, in this case, there is a sound that um, the camera was able to pick up if you were able to listen more attentively. And I think it's very helpful to see both of these side by side and just get um, a sense of what Ignatius is doing with these two images. Because what they indicate is that you can see why Ignatius is going to say we must give much attention. The difference between water entering easily into a sponge and just a drop of water uh, touching the rock and, and splashing a little is not, um, it's not extravagant. And you need to be attentive in order to see the difference. The metaphor is really well chosen to indicate the refined kind of discernment that Ignatius has in mind in Rule 7, if in fact it is possible for us to discern according to the beginning, when the consolation with preceding cause and good thoughts first arise. So Ignatius says, applying the metaphor now, in those proceeding from good to better, so the person pursuing the option and the discernment, which is truly of God, the good spirit, with, when the good spirit brings consolation and good and holy thoughts, these will enter sweetly, lightly, and gently, like the drop of water enters the sponge. Because the person is pursuing God's will, and this, these consolations and thoughts from the good spirit are moving in that same direction. So it's like water entering a sponge. Um, it will happen very gently and easily and lightly. In those pursuing from good to better, the enemy, on the contrary, will touch Ignatius as sharply with noise and disquiet, like a drop of water falling on a stone. Again, it's not going to be clamorous, um, boisterous, loud, and so on, but the difference will be there. The initial affective resonance of the enemy's consolation with preceding cause and good and holy thoughts is going to be different than that of the good spirit. And the reason for that is, so there'll be a little bit of uneasiness somewhere in this, or something that is not just peaceful about it. Maybe just a little touch of trouble somewhere in the person's heart, even in the midst of the spiritual consolation and the energy around the thoughts. And the reason for this is that the person is proceeding from good to better, moving in the direction of God's will, and what the enemy is bringing, even though he is imitating the good spirit and bringing spiritual consolation with preceding cause and genuinely good and holy thoughts, even though he's bringing, uh, he's imitating the good spirit, still what he's bringing is contrary to where God is leading the person, so that there will be some initial affective resonance with maybe just a very slight bit of trouble or loss of peace somewhere in this that the person can note if the person is attentive. Probably a person is going to need the help of a good spiritual director to pick up on this kind of thing. And will need some experience in discernment, obviously. And all of this reverses when the person is going from bad to worse, moving away from the direction that God truly wants uh, in the discernment. Now the enemy touches like a drop of water entering a sponge. And now the good spirit touches like a drop of water falling on a stone, because now uh, all of this has reversed as the person's direction has reversed. And then Ignatius applies, as I mentioned, a second image to say the same thing. And that is um, that 
when the person is going from good to better, moving in the direction that God wants in the discernment, living out God's will, further consolations or good and holy thoughts from the good spirit uh, will enter easily like a person who uh, enters his own house through an open door. Whereas a person who attempts to enter a house that is not his own and through a closed door, there's going to be more noise and trouble and clamor around this. It's the same uh, point as the first metaphor, simply with a second metaphor. So having looked at the metaphors now, let's go back over what Ignatius is telling us here. When the disposition of the soul is similar, the good spirit and the enemy enter with silence as in their own house through an open door. When it is contrary, they enter with clamor, sensible disturbances, and perceptibly. In Rules 5 and 6, Ignatius focused on the course of the thoughts, the middle and the end of the thoughts. And this was how we discerned. We discerned by looking for a descent, a little by little diminishment, either objectively or subjectively as the thoughts unfolded. And we could do this because over time, the enemy in leading away from God has to distance himself from where God is truly leading the person. And so Ignatius invites us to discern the middle and the end by observing the course of the thoughts and what happens as these unfold. In Rule 7, obviously, as we've said, the course of the thoughts has not even begun yet. So the criterion that Ignatius uses for Rules 5 and 6 simply can't apply. If we are going to be able to discern in the very beginning itself, when the consolation and good and holy thoughts first arise in such generous persons, the, the criterion that Ignatius gives us is to be attentive to the initial affective resonance of these thoughts when they first come. Obviously, there's no course of thoughts yet on which to focus. Uh, you can see that in Rule 7, as in 5 and 6, Ignatius never looks to an intrinsic difference between spiritual consolation with cause given by the good spirit or the enemy. That would simply be too complicated to be effective, and in each case looks to something extrinsic to the consolation itself. In Rules 5 and 6, the unfolding of the thoughts, and in Rule 7, the initial affective resonance, what happens in the person's heart um, when these thoughts with their accompanying consolation first arise. So, a Rule 7 question would be this for Kathy. Can she identify the initial affective resonance when the thought of the inner city school first arose as she prayed with Luke 4? Did that thought enter like water entering a sponge, or did it enter like water falling on a rock? If she can identify that, she has a first very helpful clue in her discernment. Charles can Charles identify the initial affective resonance, what happened in his heart, whether fully joyful and peaceful or whether mixed with a thread of some little preoccupation or trouble or loss of peace? Can he identify the initial affective resonance when the thought of work with the young first arose? If he can, Rule 7 will help him to begin to discern. Patricia, can she identify the initial affective resonance that Sunday at um, morning at Mass when the Gospel of Mark 25, I was a stranger and you welcomed me? Uh, when she hears these words and her heart is warmed with consolation and the thought of the refugees first arises, 
Can she identify the initial affective resonance of those thoughts, whether fully joyful, like water entering a sponge, or with a little sense of trouble somewhere, like water, a drop of water falling on a stone? Can she identify that? If she can, she has a first help toward discernment in the second spiritual situation. We'll return to The Second Week Rules for the Disturbance of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher. All right, let's watch this uh, play out. Let's look at the experience of Anne, which will serve, and you have this on page 11 in the handout, and this will serve both as a review of what we've been doing in the rules and also uh, to help us uh, apply Rule 7. So Anne is a 29-year-old single woman. She has an undergraduate degree in business and has worked successfully in an accounting firm for the past several years. Recently, Anne returned to school to earn a graduate degree as well and is now a full-time university student. She is in the fall semester of her first of two years of studies toward this end. 
back to school to get a master's. Faith was very real for Anne from an early age. For a time in high school and in her first years of college, Anne thought less about her faith, but then felt again her desire for God and began to live her faith with renewed dedication. For the past 10 years, God has been very much at the center of her life. After college, Anne began to spend an hour each morning in quiet prayer and to attend Mass daily during her lunch hour. Uh, so obviously this is, Anne is a person who, who really loves the Lord and has a deep and maturing life of, of spiritual life. As time passed, Anne's prayer gradually deepened and simplified. The regular spiritual direction she sought assisted her greatly in this growth. In these same years, Anne also became active in her parish. She joined the lay associates of a community of religious women in her city and dedicated time on weekends and in the summers to share in their service of the poor. Anne grew, grew close to these religious women and came to esteem them and their work highly. Anne also sought ways to live her faith actively in the secularized atmosphere of the university. She formed a group of students which met weekly to discuss issues of faith and was pleased to find the group increasingly well attended. Anne noted with quiet joy that a number of the participants began to think about God in a new way. So this is a rich spiritual and I'd say apostolic life as well. When she returned to studies after her years in the business world, Anne found that the question of her calling in life came insistently to the fore. She asked God in prayer to see clearly how she was to serve in life. A desire grew within her to respond without reservation to the God whose love she knew so deeply. As the story unfolds, I think we can all see that we may very well have a person in the second spiritual situation at this point. One day, Anne was speaking with a member of the religious community whose ministry she shared as an associate. This woman, seeing Anne's evident love for the service of the poor, suggested that she investigate the community's volunteer program for those who desired further involvement in this service. This would involve, the woman explained, two years of living with and working among the poor in a third world country. Anne was drawn to this possibility and wondered whether God might be speaking to her through this woman. So a discernment now surfaces for Anne. Anne also knew that this program might help her answer a question increasingly present in her thoughts, whether God might be calling her to join this religious community and dedicate her life to his work. We have a generous person for whom now a rather important discernment uh, has come to the fore. The immediate discernment is whether God is calling her to the two-year volunteer program in the third world country, serving the poor together with these women religious, um, but underlying it and very um, much linked with it is the realization that this service in the volunteer program might be a key element in discerning the larger issue of her vocation itself and whether she is called to this community. When Anne discussed this with her spiritual director, the director suggested that she dedicate time daily to prayer with scripture. This is a great director here. Uh, she needs to pray, and she needs to pray more, seeking light from God in this discernment. He also explained how to review her prayer and to pray the daily exam, again, uh, supplying her with the tools that she's going to need for this discernment. He suggested that Anne journal and note what occurred in her prayer and daily spiritual experience. 
and was very willing and began the process. The prayer deepened Anne's awareness of the Lord as her Redeemer and Healer. As she prayed with Jesus in the Gospels, Anne felt a strong desire to respond to his call. Her heart was profoundly drawn to the poverty and humility of Christ, and the thought of sharing his dedication to the poor gave her joy. One afternoon, Anne was walking home from class. Suddenly, she felt herself totally enveloped in the love of the Lord. Her heart lifted in great joy to the God whose closeness and love she felt so deeply. In that unforgettable experience of God's infinite love, Anne simply knew with great clarity that God was calling her to serve in the volunteer program. And reverently, because we're on holy ground here, all of us will recognize here consolation without preceding cause. There's no object ahead of time and so forth. She's simply walking home from school and suddenly this uh, uh, immense experience of God's love is poured out upon her. And with the experience is given a great clarity that God is calling her to the volunteer program. And as we've seen in rule two, only God can give this kind of experience. What's given in it is clearly of the Lord. So by God's um, loving intervention in, in this, at this point in her process of discernment, Anne has a very powerful indication that God is calling her to the volunteer program. The warmth of that blessed experience of grace remained with Anne for several days. In her next meeting with her director, she described this time of joy and clarity. And the director, who understands the significance of this, confirmed it as of God. Several days later, as her prayer continued, Anne contemplated the text of the Beatitudes. As she reflected on the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Anne again felt joy at the thought of her call to serve the poor in the third world. Now, in this case, we have consolation with preceding cause. There is an object and etc. all that we've seen before. So Anne receives now further experiences of consolation with preceding cause, which confirm even further the clarity already given in the consolation without preceding cause. In her prayer during the following weeks, Anne repeatedly experienced the same joyful, joy-filled desire to serve the poor. She shared these experiences, too, with her director. It seemed very clear that God was calling her to join the volunteer program in late spring when new candidates would be accepted. So when the academic year enters, she would go into that program. Again, the director confirmed her discernment and Anne began to make plans to this end. A few weeks later, Anne prayed with the gospel account of the sending of the Twelve in Matthew 10. She was struck by Jesus' call to proclaim the gospel among the lost sheep of the people of God. Her thoughts turned to the students in the university who so frequently seemed lonely and confused, without community, without faith, and without clear meaning in life. Anne reflected on the spiritual assistance that the weekly group was providing for a growing number of students and the spiritual good that could be accomplished if she continued to lead this group. As she thought of these things, Anne felt a deep joy and peace in God. So we have a rich experience of spiritual consolation with preceding cause. And a thought arises, a warm desire to heed the gospel of Jesus and to serve these lost sheep stirred in her heart. 
Anne knew that it would be difficult to renounce the volunteer program and the joy of life together with the other religious and volunteers. She knew that it would not be easy to delay or perhaps to relinquish altogether the service of the poor she so loved. She was conscious that for her, life on the secularized campus would in many ways be more demanding than service of the poor in the third world. The twinge of uneasiness that mingled with her thoughts did not alter the joy that Anne felt at the prospect of serving God among the university students. She knew that Jesus himself never chose the easier way. And her one desire, and this is very genuine, was to be totally available to God's call, regardless of the sacrifice involved. In the following days, Anne considered her meeting with her director and how she would share her new conviction that God was calling her to ministry among the students. Anne also contemplated the concrete steps which she would take in coming months to prepare for this ministry. So what do we say of this? Uh, What is God asking of Anne? Is God asking of her to pursue the volunteer program in the third world? Or is God calling her to remain at the university, complete her studies, and continue this ministry which is proving so fruitful among the lost sheep, the students in the secularized university? All right, let's do just a little bit more here. The volunteer program in the spring. Anne has very clear signs that this is something God wills for her. Uh, including a consolation without preceding cause in which she sees clearly that God is asking this of her. And then repeatedly in consolation with preceding cause, that clarity is confirmed. Now a new consolation with with preceding cause and thoughts of an even more generous, conceivably even more generous service at the university, these arise. And obviously the discernment here matters not only the two years, but even her vocation may conceivably be at stake in this. What about this? All right, I think we're going to stop there, and uh, we'll pick this up in our next meeting and uh, see what Anne and her director will need to say about this experience. As you can see, Anne's experience is a way of illustrating what Ignatius is saying to us in the seventh rule. We'll pick this up next time. You've been listening to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download the podcast version of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. To view Father Gallagher's video presentation of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for the Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher.